the MCU has found its Ms. Marvel. While 2020 has admittedly been pretty lousy for most of us, it's actually been a great year for Kamala Khan fans, because not only did players get to step into her shoes in Marvel's Avengers game earlier this year, but now the Ms. Marvel Disney Plus series is one step closer to embiggening the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So on Wednesday, Deadline reported that the highly coveted role of Kamala Khan, aka Ms. Marvel, will be played by Canadian newcomer Iman Vellani. And while Vellani is new to the world of Hollywood, she's already making her mark in the world of cinema as part of the Toronto International Film Festival's Next Wave Committee that helps to program and write about films featured in the festival. And while the Ms. Marvel Disney Plus series does not have a release date as of yet, Bisha K. Ali is serving as showrunner, and a slew of directors were recently announced, including Bad Boys for Life directing duo Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala, Charmin Obay Chinoy, and Mira Menon. But this is just the beginning for Kamala Khan, because as Marvel Studios head honcho Kevin Feige confirmed at last year's D23 Expo, Ms. Marvel will cross over into the Marvel Cinematic Universe films as well. Created in 2014 by writer G. Willow Wilson, artists Adrian Alfona and Jamie McKelvey, and editors Sana Aminat and Stephen Wacker, Kamala Khan is Marvel's first Muslim character to headline her own comic book series. After debuting in a small cameo in Captain Marvel 14 in August 2013, she went on to star in her own ongoing series in 2014. Kamala Khan is a Pakistani-American teenager from Jersey City, New Jersey, who's a serious superhero superfan. During the Inhumanity storyline, she was exposed to Terrigen Mist that activated the latent inhuman genes inside of her and gave her these incredible polymorphing powers. Kamala can twist, stretch, and mold her body into all sorts of shapes and sizes, from embiggening herself to lay the smackdown on her foes, to completely changing her appearance to fool even the likes of Iron Man, her skill set is varied and powerful. She even has an accelerated healing factor because, as we learn in Ms. Marvel 34, technically when she alters her body, she travels in time on a molecular level by borrowing mass from her past and future self. You know, that old Ms. Marvel. With her newly minted superhuman powers, Kamala Khan takes on the mantle of Ms. Marvel in an homage to her superheroic idol Captain Marvel's OG identity to kick butt, take names, and fight for truth and justice. And now she'll be the first Muslim character to headline her own series in the MCU as well. Now this Ms. Marvel casting news comes hot on the heels of Tatiana Maslany landing the role of She-Hulk and the first trailer for WandaVision, the latter of which may have some serious implications for how and why Kamala Khan gets her powers. Now, as we know, the Inhumans have been a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe since at least Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, a famously not convoluted show that definitely did not get increasingly buckwild as the years went on. Now, Marvel also made an Inhuman series back in 2017 that was... Well, it's legally a television show. But in the wake of Avengers Endgame's time-traveling shenanigans, the upcoming multiversal mayhem of WandaVision and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and of course the potential implications of something like Captain Marvel 2, there are a metric ton of ways that Marvel can contextually explain how Kamala gets her powers while cleaning house a little bit in the process. So similar to our theory about how mutants will enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe, maybe the massive amount of energy released by the multiple Infinity Gauntlet snaps could have activated that latent inhuman heritage in people all over the world. Perhaps we'll see a post-credit scene in Captain Marvel 2 of a renegade Kree agent releasing Terrigen Mists on the people of Earth in an effort to strike back against Carol Danvers and her refusal to debate yon Rog in the marketplace of ideas. But then again, only time will tell. Now the bigger story here is that between Iman Vellani as Ms. Marvel, Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk, and Simu Liu as Shang-Chi, 
Canada is kind of looking like one of the world's biggest and most prominent exporters of future Marvel talent. So maybe it's the fine Terrigen mist that roll in off Hudson Bay, or the Uru metal deposits in Black Sturgeon River Provincial Park, or even the Super Soldier Serum that's in each and every Tim bit sold at your local Tim Hortons. But all of this can only mean one thing. Alpha Flight is coming to the MCU confirmed. Don't ask me, I don't make the rules, Canada does. But in the meantime, tell me, what do you think of this casting? What else do you want to see from the upcoming Ms. Marvel Disney Plus series? And how do you think that Kamala Khan will ultimately get her powers? Let's discuss in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure that you stay tuned to Nerdist.com. Let's move on to main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam, who writes, Greetings from the UK, John. Well, greetings, Sam. So Marvel have cast their Ms. Marvel, Iman Vellani, a good Canadian girl, by the way, Rob, Iman Vellani. <laughs> it seems this is her first major role. As I can't find her on IMDb, this is a huge first role. I don't doubt Marvel's casting. Their track record is good. Is this a risky move? Thanks and keep it filthy. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, indeed, they have. This is the second big casting in a row that's been announced, Rob, for the MCU that involves a good Canadian girl. So we've got a man here. We had Tatiana just announced, of course, for She-Hulk. I mean, MCU's going all Canadian. It's the Marvel Canadian universe, ladies and gentlemen. But yes, I, I mean, it, you do raise a good point. They have gone out and gotten themselves pretty much, a, a very much an unknown actress. They've gone mm -hmm. out and got themselves very much an unknown actress in this young girl. It's funny because yesterday we didn't do a regular episode of the John Campbell show. We just put out a podcast yesterday and one of our Patreon supporters asked a very similar question to this. They asked, you know, isn't this rolling the dice a bit? Like, isn't this a little, like, shouldn't you go with more proven talent for something like MCU? Let's face it. MCU is the big leagues, Rob. It's the big leagues. So shouldn't they be going with some more proven talent? And here's what I said on the podcast yesterday. And I'll say it again today. First of all, Ms. Marvel or Kamala Khan is supposed to be younger. I mean, it's a, she's a kid. So you're already a little bit limited in how much experience you're going to find with somebody in that role anyway. But to me, it's never been about, are they a popular name? To me, it's never even been about experience, really. It's always been about talent. Right. And I'm always okay as long as you find somebody who's talented. You know, when Chris Hemsworth... When they cast him as, as Thor, nobody knew his name. Like very, very few people in the public knew his name. Um, when, yeah, and we've seen that happen a number of times throughout a lot of big films. The question though is when they talk to her trainers and when they watch her and they review her tapes and when they bring her in, can they, as the casting people at Marvel, look at her and clearly see she's got it? I mean, she's got it. She has that talent. And as long as they continue to do that and make talent the number one thing on their priority list, then I'm good. Th then experience. Uh, look, Rob, again, when you look at uh, Rob, remember when they cast Ray Fisher as Cyborg? Right. Like a lot of people were uh, were, were huffing and gruffing. It's like, oh, never even heard. He's never. It's like, dude, this guy comes from Broadway. This guy's this guy is clearly talented if that's where he's coming from. So yeah, he doesn't have any big movies to his name. 
that's fine. So that's why when they first announced him, I was pretty excited about him. So I got no sample size for this young girl, Rob. Got no sample size for it at all. But hey, listen, if they're just going for talent and if they think she's got it, I'll, I Marvel has earned from me when it comes to their casting for the most part, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. So I'm good with this. And of course, I'm a little biased that it's a good Canadian kid getting the role. Anyway, Rob, they've cast Ms. Marvel. We, you and I were just talking about this the other day about how, hey, man, how come we're not seeing any real? I mean, heard some director stuff, but not any real movement on Ms. Marvel. We've got it now. What do you think about it? Uh, look, I think it's terrific. And, you know, it's always, I think, better. Well, maybe not better. But when you're doing something new like a Miss Marvel, this is where you make a star. You break a star, not make or break. It's make and break. You're breaking her to the world. You're making her a star. And I think what's what's great about it is it's going to allow this up and coming actress to bring us a character we've never seen before uh, acted by a girl we don't know. So I think it adds to the whole uniqueness of doing a Miss Marvel series. And it can only, I think, be a good thing. And you've got to hand it to Marvel, man. Uh, they've, they've cast the MCU rather impeccably well when it comes to their heroes. So, again, I, I actually have to say I'm kind of excited to see this actress take on this role. I think we're going to get something good. I uh, I agree. Again, listen, I don't have the sample size to say definitively she's going to be good. But I, again, I agree with you, Rob. I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt. And uh, their casting has, for the most part, been impeccable. So let's see how this turns out. Question is, guys, what do you think about the casting? Is it a problem for you that it's not a name that you recognize? For some people, it is. How do you think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Hi everybody, I hope you're having a great day. In this video, I'm going to be covering Storm. She made her first appearance in Giant Size X-Men, issue number one, that was released in May of 1975. Her real name is Aurora Monroe, and she's a powerful Omega-level mutant of Kenyan heritage. Standing five feet, 11 inches tall, weighing 145 pounds, also having striking blue eyes and long, pure white hair. Although her eyes do glow white when she's using her powers. And her powers are considerable. Being a mixture of her genetic mutant abilities, as well as her inherited magical potential, Storm is one of the most powerful mutants on Earth. And her primary ability is Atmokinesis. Being able to completely manipulate any weather pattern on any planet that she's on. She can change the temperature of the environment to any extreme, as well as conjure all forms of precipitation, be it rain, sleet, snow, hail, or fog. To go on, she can also generate and direct any form of lightning and electromagnetic energies, and she can even control the atmospheric pressures. Storm's complete domination of atmospheric conditions has even allowed her to flash freeze objects, condense atmospheric pollutants into acid rain or toxic fog, and give her the ability to not only make herself fly, but others around her as well. To go into even more details, she's so skilled that she can even manipulate the air in a person's lungs or inner ear. In addition to bending light with the ambient moisture in the air, making herself or objects nearly invisible. 
Storm has been shown to use electrolysis to actually breathe underwater and is known to have very keen senses that are in tune with the natural world, being able to detect minute details of anything in the atmosphere of the planet she's on, meaning that she can do things like detect an airplane cutting through the atmosphere thousands of miles away. Her learned ability to focus her powers, as well as her manipulation of electromagnetism, has given her a very effective resistance to some of the most powerful telepaths. Now, Storm's magical potential has never fully been tapped, but it's been said that her spirit is so strong that she was one of the very few beings powerful enough to host the avatar of eternity himself. This amazing fact is a little more reasonable if you understand that she's also a goddess, at times being worshipped by various African cultures, including Wakanda, as the rain or storm goddess. She's actually been shown to get significantly more powerful the more her people believe in her, which likely is tied to her aforementioned magical potential. In addition to her supernatural abilities, Storm is a master thief, combatant, weapons expert, tactician, and leader, actually being the head of various X-Men teams over multiple years. Matter of fact, other than Spider-Man and Wolverine, Storm is also the only other person in Earth-616 to have been a member of the X-Men, Avengers, and Fantastic Four. And although Storm has low-level superhuman reflexes, balance, and coordination, her strength, speed, and durability are just those of a very athletic normal woman. That is, except in the occasions where she's become the Goddess of Thunder, wielding the Asgardian hammer known as Stormcaster, and obviously becoming much more powerful. The only obvious weaknesses Storm has is the fact that her manipulation of weather can be unpredictable if she doesn't keep her extreme emotions in check. And a traumatic experience in her youth has made her extremely claustrophobic. Now, Aurora is descended from a long line of African priestesses who all have the rare genetic trait of having white hair, blue eyes, and the potential to wield powerful magic. Her mother named Indare was a Kenyan princess who married an American photojournalist named David Monroe, moving to New York City where Aurora was born. When she was just six months old, her parents decided to move to Cairo, Egypt. And when she was just five years old, both of her parents were killed when a plane crashed into their home during a Middle Eastern conflict. Aurora survived this, but being buried under rubble near her mother's body is what left her traumatized and claustrophobic. From this point, the young mutant would basically raise herself, roaming the streets of Cairo and eventually becoming a very accomplished pickpocket. And by the age of 12, her mutant power to control the weather began to emerge. She would then travel throughout the African continent, where she used her powers to help several tribes, who then in turn began to worship her as the goddess of rain. Professor X would later return to Africa and convince Aurora to use her powers to help all of mankind. She would join the X-Men under the alias Storm and quickly became one of Professor X's most trusted students and top lieutenants. However, at one point early in her career, Henry Peter Gyrich would shoot her with a weapon that removed her powers. This event would lead her to meet and briefly fall in love with Forge, the man who designed that weapon. Although temporarily powerless, she would still continue to work with the X-Men, eventually regaining her powers. She was so dedicated that she would shortly thereafter give her life to defeat the adversary. But Roma, who was the daughter of Merlin, would resurrect her back to life. Now, Storm would be one of the few mutants to keep her powers after the M-Day event. But during this time, she would leave the X-Men to return to Africa. 
While there, she would marry T'Challa, a.k.a. Black Panther, becoming the queen of Wakanda, although she would eventually return to the X-Men to help them search for Hope Summers. Storm would also later help defeat the Shadow King, who had possessed her husband's body. Following this, she would step up her Wakandan loyalty even more, taking over as the sole ruler of Wakanda after Doctor Doom critically injured T'Challa. But to let her down the line, she would be a part of a house divided when she initially sided with the X-Men in their conflict against the Avengers, putting her on the opposite side of the fight from her husband. And although this contributed to him having their marriage annulled and her returning to work for the X-Men full time, the two would keep a strong bond with each other, knowing that they could call on each other's help whenever needed. Some time later, when the Terrigen Mists threatened mutant kind, Storm would step up to be a full-fledged leader of the X-Men in a war against the Inhumans. And despite her later stepping down as the official team leader, Storm has always remained an alpha member of any group or adventure she's been a part of since. Now, for her powers and abilities and her influence on the Marvel Universe, for my 1 to 10 rating, I'll give Storm Aurora Monroe a rating of 10, which is a legendary rating. I hope everyone enjoyed this video. I'll talk to you next time. Be sure to like, subscribe, and join the new Sage. Welcome back everyone, it's Charlie. This is going to be my video all about Spider-Man 3 bringing back Jamie Foxx's Electro character. That's right, big time Sinister Six action, so I'll explain what's going on. It's crazy that they're finally canonizing some Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man franchise to the MCU, but they did it with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson. If you're new to the channel, be sure to subscribe to get all the videos. We'll do a new Amazon giveaway. All you have to do to enter is be a subscriber and leave your favorite moment from the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Everyone cue up the clip of Andrew Garfield just waiting in the wings to get that phone call to come back himself. So just starting with the big stuff first, number five, Hollywood Reporter announced that Marvel is bringing back Jamie Foxx's Electro from The Amazing Spider-Man 2 for Spider-Man 3, the same way that they brought J. Jonah Jameson back from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. This obviously seems like more live-action Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse Easter eggs as Marvel pushes deeper into multiverse storytelling. Originally, the character was going to be a member of the Sinister Six team that they were creating in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. At the time, Sony had plans for both Amazing Spider-Man 3 with Andrew Garfield and for a spin-off Sinister Six movie franchise. Drew Goddard, the person behind the Netflix Daredevil series, was going to do the Sinister Six movie, and even though there weren't a lot of plot details for that movie other than the roster that they teased in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 post credit scene, being Green Goblin putting the team together made up of Vulture, Dr. Octopus, Rhino, Electro, and Kraven the Hunter, what ended up happening with that, though, is that obviously we all know that they decided to not do Amazing Spider-Man 3 and recast Tom Holland when they went to Captain America Civil War. So cut to a couple years later, Tom Holland shows up in Civil War and you have your brand new Spider-Man franchise. However you felt about the Amazing Spider-Man films, Andrew Garfield himself actually says that he feels like he's kind of heartbroken with the way that they treated the character. It's actually pretty sad. Listen to the clip of him talking about it. Uh, that's something that happened with that experience for me where... It was story and character were, were actually not top of the 
the priority list ultimately. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And maybe I've, that's. I found that really, yeah. really tricky. I signed up to serve the story and to serve yeah. this incredible yeah. character that I've been dressing as since I was three. Yeah. And then there's the, it gets compromised and and it, it, and, it, and, it, and it breaks breaks your, breaks my heart. Yeah. Story and character, not so important. So it just sounds like they're trying to freshen up a lot of amazing Spider-Man elements inside the MCU. Give him a good polish. And speaking of MCU crossover, thanks to the Sony leak a number of years ago, we actually found out that when Amy Pascal was still head of the Sony studio, she actually phoned him up and had him read the Amazing Spider-Man 2 script, look at some of the dailies, and give them advice on how to make the movie better. I'll explain what he said because he actually spoke a lot about Jamie Foxx's Electro character when he gave them notes on Amazing Spider-Man 2. So it is kind of bringing things full circle that Kevin Feige sees Electro come into the MCU full blown. But number four, just to clarify, the report is that they're bringing Jamie Foxx back as his version of Electro. They're not going to do a rebooted version of the character with a brand new origin story. I know that when they brought J. Jonah Jameson back in the Spider-Man Far From Home post credit scene, he looked different and they were going for more of a vlogger thing by turning the Daily Bugle from a traditional newspaper into a video podcast sort of website. But that wasn't meant to be a big multiverse twist. So it sounds like the Electro inclusion won't be a big multiverse twist. They'll find a way to incorporate his pre-existing backstory that we got during Amazing Spider-Man 2 into the MCU and explain how he's connected to the other MCU characters. The way that other Sinister Six characters like Mysterio were connected to Iron Man during Spider-Man Far From Home. Like he used to work for Stark Tech, got a little bit crazy, Tony Stark wound up firing him and that's when he turned into the villain that he is in the movie. And even though his backstory during The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was that he worked for Oscorp, and obviously we want to get to Oscorp, Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, and the MCU eventually, in the original comics, he actually worked for Stark Industries. So them saying that he used to work for Iron Man, just like Mysterio, just in a different department, wouldn't be too far off. The way that J.K. Simmons explained his post-credit scene, though, is that he's supposed to be the same J. Jonah Jameson from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, just a little bit older with less hair. And at some point in the last 15 years or so, since the events of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 3, at least the time period, the Daily Bugle just evolved into what it is during the Spider-Man Far From Home post credit scene. But the way the MCU works is that Tom Holland is the very first version of Spider-Man. So even though he's coming from the Tobey Spider-Man films, it's just that time period. So Jamie Foxx will be the same version of Electro, but his backstory will be sort of weaved in with MCU history so that it all makes sense and it's all in continuity. And explain the Kevin Feige connection to Electro a little bit more. One of the biggest notes that he gave them on the script for Amazing Spider-Man 3 and the dailies was that he liked a lot of the stuff that they were doing with Jamie Foxx's Electro. He liked his performance, but he thought that they got a little too crazy and a little too over the top with him at times. Like when he's going crazy in his room here, starting to go real nutty. This is one of the things that Kevin Feige told them to get rid of. Obviously, you can see that that stayed in the movie. They didn't take a lot of his notes. So now that Kevin Feige has control of these characters and he's going to be using the Electro character, he can polish him up however he wants. The reason why Amy Pascal came to Kevin Feige for help with Amazing Spider-Man 2 when they were running into problems with that movie is because Kevin Feige was a producer on the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies with Sony before Marvel Studios became the big studio that it is today. But number three, obviously the next question is, is because they've now canonized elements of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies and Andrew Garfield's amazing Spider-Man movies to the MCU, will they eventually bring back both Tobey and Andrew in another new Spider-Man movie at some point, like live-action Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? 
Amy Pascal said that the studio had discussed doing live-action Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse before, but because the animated movie traded so heavily on Miles Morales, I had actually assumed that any live-action version of that movie would include him, and they haven't said anything about introducing him in a bigger way in the MCU yet. But here's the thing, if you actually listen to a lot of the behind the scenes of the animated Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie, the producers said that they tried to bring back Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland's versions of Spider-Man to incorporate more live-action versions of Spider-Man in the multiverse in a bigger way. Like, there were a couple live-action scenes that they incorporated into that. Apparently, they had much bigger plans. But at the time, around 2016 or 2017, when they were pitching that idea to Sony about bringing all the Spider-Men back, they said that the Sony executives said that it was too soon to do a crossover like that. Right now, though, is just Electro coming back from the Amazing Spider-Man movies for what seems like more Sinister Six setup. They haven't said anything about Kraven yet in the movie other than hinting that he might be one of the villains. The news reports didn't say if Electro was supposed to be the main villain, but you don't bring someone back that big for just a two-second cameo. So it sounds like whatever he's doing during the events of Spider-Man 3, it'll be a bigger storyline than what J.J. got in that post credit scene, screaming about how terrible Spider-Man is. Number two, right now the Sony people have already said that they're setting up an MCU Sinister Six team, but they're also using the Morbius movie in Venom 2, the other Venom spin-off movies, to do that as well. The current roster that they have right now is The Vulture, Scorpion, Shocker, and Mysterio. There are a lot of hints that they gave us that Mysterio isn't actually dead at the end of that movie, or at least a version of Mysterio will come back at some point, because you have his henchman, another Stark Tech employee that stole all of Mysterio's files, and Mysterio is kind of like a mask that someone wears. He isn't an actual supervillain. It's all smoke and mirrors, so to speak. Supposedly, the reason why the Vulture shows up in the Morbius movie after showing up in the Spider-Man Homecoming post credit scene in that same white prison jumpsuit is because at some point in the movie, Morbius is supposed to be sent to the prison where Vulture is being held with the Scorpion. But even though they've said that they're doing Sinister Six stuff in the MCU, they didn't say when they're doing that. Like, a lot of people have wondered if Spider-Man 3 will be a Sinister Six movie or if they'll just be setting up more Sinister Six characters and they'll leave that for Spider-Man 4. So number one, WTF, obviously, does that mean the Spider-Man 4 will be the full-blown Spider-Man vs. the Sinister Six movie? Because it sounds like their Spider-Man vs. Venom movie will be something different. But for those of you that don't know about Spider-Man 4, a while ago, when Sony and Marvel made nice and they signed a new sharing deal to share the Spider-Man character, the president of Sony was asked about doing future deals with Marvel. Will you continue to share Spider-Man after the next movies that you've signed for? And he said yes. So right now the contract for Marvel using Spider-Man with Sony is that they get him for Spider-Man 3 and another crossover movie in the MCU that's kind of a mystery. They haven't said which movie he's going to show up in. But after the mystery crossover movie is when Sony and Marvel would have to sign another new sharing deal for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Spider-Man 3 is supposed to start filming later this year, pretty soon, according to Tom Holland, so we'll get some more news about that really soon. Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness, will also start filming very soon. Big Spider-Man Easter Egg 2, Sam Raimi, Mr. Spider-Man himself from the Tobey era, will be directing Doctor Strange 2. So there is a lot of Spider-Man related stuff happening in the next couple of years. So everyone, let me know in the comments, what do you think about them bringing Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2, and which other characters do you want them to canonize from the Andrew Garfield era? I know everyone's just going to say, bring Andrew Garfield back in some fashion. While you wait for everything, click here for that brand new Avengers WandaVision trailer and Easter eggs, and click here for that brand new Mandalorian Season 2 trailer and Star Wars Easter eggs. Thank you so much for watching. Everyone stay safe. This is The Way.
When the situation seems dire and the music swells, that's when a superhero shows up to save the day. Of course, not all superhero entrances are created equal. From the Man of Steel to Earth's mightiest heroes, here are the most epic superhero entrances in movies. The promotion for Superman the movie promised that would believe a man can fly. It was a bold claim, and one the movie had to back up. Richard Donner and company weren't going for childish glee, like all previous live-action Superman incarnations. They truly wanted you to believe, and every frame was directed toward that end. John Williams' swashbuckling score over the spacey credits kicked things off masterfully. Casting Christopher Reeve was critical, equally critical with the special effects. If we saw just one wire carrying the Man of Steel like a marionette, it would all be ruined. Thankfully, none of that happened. It's an epic moment when a much younger Clark Kent, played by Jeff East, arrives at his fortress of solitude to take on the mantle of Kal-El, the last son of Krypton. Who am I? The name is Kal-El. You are the only survivor of the planet Krypton. Q. Williams' orchestral march as Superman is transformed into a man, and Christopher Reeve flies in costume and into legend, ready to deliver a five-finger patriotic punch of truth, justice, and the American way. After Superman the movie ruled the box office in 1978, a sequel was a foregone conclusion. Actually, it was happening regardless of the money, because both movies were filmed at the same time. Despite a lot of behind-the-scenes drama with directors, Superman 2 eventually took flight, and the plot finds our fair planet in peril as three Kryptonians escape their floating mirror prison and seek vengeance on the son of the man who put them there. This trio of space meanies imprisons humanity, eventually forcing the President of the United States to kneel before Zod. Meanwhile, Superman has given up his powers so he can be with his love, Lois Lane, which seems remarkably short-sighted given the circumstances. All hope seems lost when the three Kryptonians take Lois hostage, hoping to lure the Man of Tomorrow out for a round of fisticuffs. But as they say, be careful what you wish for. General, would you care to step outside? Superman! Superman, thank God. It's a bird. It's a plane. Nope, it's the red and blue Boy Scout coming to kick Zod's butt. Tim Burton is mostly known for his incredible eccentric style, but the guy clearly has sharp box office sensibilities. Take Batman, for instance. The movie's success is directly attributable to this one fact. Fanboys dug it, and they were especially crazy about Batman's entrances. The film features two iconic entrances, which fans are still quoting 30 years later. Batman's first appearance comes in the beginning of the film and features Michael Keaton taking out two hoodlums who have just mugged a family. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. It was such an effective line that filmmakers are still copying it today. Arguably even more awesome is Batman's entrance later in the flick. After Jack Nicholson's Joker kidnaps innocent reporter Vicky Vale, the Caped Crusader bursts through the glass ceiling with perfect timing. After all, timing is everything in show business and superheroics. Remember what we said about filmmakers copying the I'm Batman moment? Well, that line was so memorable it was repeated 16 years later in the Warner Brothers reboot. Batman Begins. You know your scene is special when even Uber original director Christopher Nolan feels the need to borrow it. The setup, however, is much different. This isn't our first encounter with Bruce Wayne by this point. We've been with Wayne on his journey from disenchanted youth to prison baddie to ninja warrior. And after an hour of build-up, we see him for the first time as a man in black. Vicious mob boss Carmine Falcone is making a deal on the docks, like he's safely done a million times before. But this is Batman's tale now. With the pacing of a horror movie, a shadowy figure takes out the hoods one by one. Falcone attempts to escape in his limo when Batman arrives. What the hell are you? 
Hey, just because a moment is an homage doesn't make it any less epic. Batman just seems to naturally lend himself to awesome entries, and for proof, look no further than The Dark Knight Rises. The final entry in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy may not have quite lived up to its sky-high expectations, but it wasn't for a lack of awesome entrances. The first sees Batman returning after eight years, as the League of Shadows has just invaded Gotham's equivalent of Wall Street. As night falls on the city, the police are in hot pursuit of the villains. Suddenly, several overhead lights go out. You are in for a show tonight, son. As Hans Zimmer's score reaches its crescendo, we realize the old-timer is right. Batman is back. But then he gets his back broken by Bane, winds up imprisoned underground in an undisclosed location, and watches helplessly as Gotham City is held hostage by terrorists. Boy, that sucks. However, you can't keep a good bat down, and the caped crusader rises from his subterranean prison and returns home. Of course, he can't just sneak up on the unsuspecting Bane. No, that would be too simple. He has to make a statement. So he sets a bridge on fire with a symbol. Maybe it's not practical, but who cares? It's totally awesome. Superman Returns was not a great movie. It was so average, in fact, that Warner Brothers abandoned this $200 million franchise restart, only returning to the character after another seven-year hiatus. All this aside, one iconic scene is unforgettable. Superman has been gone for five years, Lois Lane is on a commercial jet being carried by a NASA space shuttle, and the villainous Lex Luthor has just set off a global electromagnetic shock. And of course, that's when you-know-who returns to Earth. Through the windows of the jet, we see something red and blue streak by, faster than a speeding bullet, as the opening strings of John Williams' score tease Superman's arrival. Long story short, Superman saves the day. Well, I hope this experience hasn't put any of you off flying. Statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel. Nothing fancy, but bear in mind, this was the first time we got to see a live-action Superman with modern CGI special effects. The scene was the highlight of the film, proving that even a mediocre movie can have an epic entrance. The Avengers has more than its share of epic entrances. There's Iron Man rescuing Cap from Loki, and Thor riding a wave of lightning bolts to capture his imprisoned brother, just for starters. But the most memorable of the bunch comes in the film's final act, during the Battle of New York. A giant evil space slug is attacking New York City. Mild-mannered Bruce Banner arrives on a scooter, ready to take it out. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. This moment is actually two entrances for the price of one, as it immediately leads into the now-classic Avengers wraparound scene. Originally, they were six individuals, now they're a team. Avengers Assemble! While there have been many attempts to bring Wonder Woman to the big screen, the Amazonian warrior princess hadn't been seen in live action since Linda Carter. However, that changed in the most unlikely of places, the first on-screen pairing of Batman and Superman. Despite the disappointment that followed in its wake, it's hard to overstate just how monumental Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice was for fanboy culture. This was the first time Batman and Superman would share the screen in a live action film. Plus, Wonder Woman was going to show up too. It should have been great. It was not. However, Wonder Woman's entrance was a dream come true for millions of fans worldwide. While Diana Prince had been a principal character in the film, she didn't appear in the red, blue, and gold until the final battle. Doomsday is about to blast Batman into oblivion when, with her now iconic Led Zeppelin-like theme wailing in the background, Wonder Woman appears to save the day. If your movie is only going to have one good moment, make it a great one. 
Spider-Man is Marvel's most famous character and one of the most popular heroes in comic book history. By the time Captain America Civil War arrived in 2016, the character had been on the screen five times, breaking several box office records along the way. Even after the dreadful Amazing Spider-Man films, fans worldwide wanted to see their favorite friendly neighborhood superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And sure, Spider-Man's entry in the MCU wasn't exactly heroic. There was little fanfare or saving of innocence. He simply swung into the middle of a tense confrontation between Iron Man and Captain America. Cap, Captain? Big fan of Spider-Man? Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Just... Hey, everyone. Good job. He wasn't even really the focus of the scene. However, that was the point. Here was a fresh, unexpected vision of a character we'd grown accustomed to. Marvel's franchise star was taking a backseat to two characters who only in the last 15 years had become mainstream blockbuster stars in their own right. It reflected the characters perfectly. Here he was, a literal kid learning the ropes of how to be a hero. In other words, this was the essence of Spider-Man. Directed by Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman features an entrance unlike any other. Taking place in the grisly pits of World War I trench warfare, the setting is more reminiscent of Band of Brothers than of a superhero movie. After witnessing the suffering of innocent villagers and the madness of World War I raging around her, Wonder Woman is moved to action. She bravely marches into no man's land, taking fire from countless German soldiers. Upon arriving in the imprisoned village of Veld, the Amazonian warrior princess pretty much single-handedly wins the battle like the demigod she is. Once again, her theme is the soundtrack, and the screaming electric guitar totally works in the 20th century setting. In an era dominated by MCU's effective, well-honed storytelling style and the DCEU's dark and dour films, there was something fresh and invigorating about good old-fashioned adventure storytelling. While the DCEU has had its ups and downs, Wonder Woman's entrance is definitely a high point. In Avengers Infinity War, Chris Hemsworth makes a kind of entrance that inspires actors to sign up for superhero movies. But of course, poor Thor has to go through quite a lot before he shows up to save the day. After getting smoked by Thanos in the first five minutes of the movie and watching both his friend and brother die along the way, the God of Thunder is in a very bad place. Thor wants revenge, but he needs a new weapon to take down the Mad Titan. So he travels to the distant reaches of the galaxy to have a battle axe made forced in the heat from the heart of a star. Meanwhile, back on Earth, the Battle of Wakanda is not going well for the Avengers. Thanos' armies have breached the force field, and they're on the verge of decimating the country. All hope seems lost when a beam of light rains down from the heavens. Thor's spinning axe Stormbreaker takes out the alien army like a fidget spinner from hell. The Avengers' steam blares, and Thor is back. It's hilarious and awesome all at once. Moments like this are why Marvel is so unstoppable. We all know that despite their best efforts, the Avengers couldn't stop Thanos in Infinity War. The Mad Titan snaps his fingers, half the universe turns to dust, and the Avengers have to cook up a complicated time heist to right the wrongs of the past. And as we come to the end of Avengers Endgame's huge three-hour runtime, that's when we get one of the most epic entrances in all of cinema. While Hulk successfully snaps the Infinity Stones and brings everybody back to life, Thanos now has the upper hand in the climactic battle. His million monster army has caught the Avengers by surprise, and he seems poised to destroy what's left of Earth's mightiest heroes, reclaim the Infinity Stones, and destroy all life as we know it. The heroes once again find themselves in peril, when suddenly Doctor Strange's familiar glowing orange orb appears. King T'Challa, the Black Panther, appears. The last we saw him, he had been turned into dust following Thanos' snap. He's soon joined by Doctor Strange, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, and the remainder of our once-fallen heroes. 
Thanos' victory in Infinity War has been reversed. We're in the endgame now. The screen is soon populated by thousands of Wakandans, Asgardians, and other warriors, ready to wreak vengeance upon Thanos. Avengers! Assemble. Only one word can describe such an entrance epic. Check out one of our newest videos right here! Plus, even more Looper videos about your favorite stuff are coming soon. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one. Let's move into our fifth and final main topic today. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Patrick Williams. And Patrick Williams writes, I'm seeing various reports that Jamie Foxx is reprising his role as Electro in Tom Holland's Spider-Man 3. Now, could this simply mean Marvel really liked his version of Electro and they want him back? Or could it be we're taking our first steps into the live-action Spider-Verse? Either way, I find Electro a very odd choice for a character to bring back, especially after the not-so-great response to The Amazing Spider-Man 2. What are your thoughts on this? Keep up the great work and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah. Under the category of what the holy hell, file this one. And this isn't coming because when I first saw people writing in, Rob, and saying, Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro, I thought, okay, yeah, let me go over to We Got This Covered because that's probably that's where this came from. That's the first thing I thought, too. <laughs> is it, I mean, right? I mean, that's clearly the first thing you're going to think is that this comes from us to, from We Got This Covered. That's where this is going to come from. So I go over and check out We Got This Covered. And lo and behold, oh, it didn't come from there. And you start looking around. And you're like, holy crap, this is actually coming from the Hollywood Reporter. The Hollywood Reporter is writing this. Anyway, let's let's get to the story here. So here's what the folks over at the Hollywood Reporter had to say about this. They said the following story details are being kept under the mask, but having Fox return is a stunner as it shows a further melding of the previous Spider-Man movies into the current Holland series, which is the first one uh, that has Marvel running point on production. Far From Home began that idea by bringing back J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, which got everybody excited, the character he played in the Tobey Maguire starring Spider-Man trilogy, a movie that tickled audience, a move that tickled audiences with glee indeed indeed it did and yes going back into the main part here the hall reporter is saying jamie fox is in the final stages of sealing up his contract to reprise and they're saying it's reprising as electro rob i never said at because i don't believe i was ever asked uh, i've never said before that there is no way that we would see jamie fox come back as electro but I will tell you, had I been asked, John, do you think we'll ever see Jamie Foxx back as Electro? Oh, hell no. I mean, I, I didn't say that, but if I was put in the position, I totally would have. I totally would have said there is no way in hell will we ever get Jamie Foxx back as Electro. Now, listen, let me make it very clear. I think Jamie Foxx is a tremendous actor. I think he is a tremendous actor and I, whether it's, I, I mean, it doesn't matter what you put him in. 
I don't care if it's a horrible bosses. I don't care if it's a baby driver. I don't care if it's an array or something bigger like that. I just, I love Jamie Foxx. I just think the dude is super talented. I just love watching him. But he might be the first person to tell you that his interpretation of Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 may not have been the best. Might not have been the best thing for him. Might not have been his best work. Might not have been his best day at the office. And so on top of all of that, you have the fact that now I don't mind The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but I did think it was a big step down from that. They killed it off. I have been asked, Rob, if I ever think that we were going to see Andrew Garfield pop up or see Tobey Maguire pop up. And I said, because I wasn't asked about Jamie Foxx, but I was asked about that. And what I've said before is, no, I really doubt that. I really, that just gets a little bit gimmicky. That like to bring in a- Andrew Garfield now, which are totally different iterations. I just think that gets into the gimmicky. Not to mention Tobey Maguire is now what he's got. He's, he's in his mid forties, approaching fifty at at any rate. Yeah, something the, like that. But so I, I I've, I've said before, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Well, guess what? While this report doesn't say anything about Tobey Maguire or or um, um, Andrew Garfield, guess what? If you bring back Jamie Foxx's Electro, all bets are off. All bets are off. I still don't expect to see Andrew Garfield pop up. I still don't expect to see Tobey Maguire. But that whole thing of, I just can't imagine that happening. Oh, that's that's gone. That's gone. I, I, I don't know what on earth they're going for. Now, Rob, I suppose there are a couple of options here on the table. Like one option is, hey... It's just a totally new Electro, and it just happens to also being played by Jamie Foxx. That would be a strange choice, but I suppose it is an option that's on the table. Maybe that's the case. Unlikely, but maybe that's the case. Also, The Hollywood Reporter was not 100% sure. They did not say definitively and beyond question that Jamie Foxx is definitely playing Electro. They did not say that. They simply said... Um, that our sources tell us it'll be Electro. And maybe it's not. Maybe Jamie Foxx is just appearing in the new Spider-Man movie um, as somebody else. And there are some people just kind of making the assumption that it's going to be Electro. That's a possibility, but it is The Hollywood Reporter. The other most outrageous, crazy, I can't believe this is happening option is that, oh no, he's Electro, the one we know from The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and he's back. That is strange. And besides being strange, Rob, when you push back all the noise of how weird this is, it doesn't look like a good decision. Because it's not only is it a carryover from a not beloved movie, It's also a carryover character that was pretty much universally disliked. Like, even people like me who didn't hate The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I thought that character was terrible. I thought it was terrible. And so, even if you wanted to dip into that whole thing, uh, why not get Melina to come back as Doc Ock? Why not... Why not go to some other direction if you want? I So that seems strange. But Rob, there is so much WTF in the air about this. Like this is 
bonkers. Like this, this is, I, I never, again, I never said he'd never come back as thing, but I would have said he was, if I was asked, I, I definitely would have said he was never going to be back as Electro. No way. No way. And I defy you to find anybody who really thought he would. I don't think you're going to find, there probably got to be a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks say, oh yeah, I always thought he'd come back. Liars. No one yeah. thought he was going to come back as Electro. This is kind of crazy. So Rob, there's a million angles to this but when you look at this rob what's what is the first thing that stands out to you when you see this report coming out remember this is not from eddie's fast movie blog from the gas station dot fart this is the hollywood reporter that's put this out rob what's your take on it i have a theory ah hit me hit me i have a theory about this john i think they're doing i think the marvel movies the mcu is going to do something they haven't done before that harks back to the comic book legacy of, well, all comics, but especially Marvel comics. I think they're going to do a multi-film crossover. And it's going to have something to do with whatever the multiverse of madness is. We know that they've said, they've recently said it again in another report, that WandaVision somehow plays into the multiverse of madness and Doctor Strange. Right. I think that they're building up a multi-film, not Infinity War, where they're bringing you know, all the Avengers, but they're going to have something to do with the multiverse, probably because of the quantum realm or something to do with Doctor Strange, something. And this storyline is going to carry over to multiple movies. Um, it's going to start in WandaVision. It's going to lead into Doctor Strange. And I think it's going to bleed over maybe into Thor Love and Thunder maybe into the third Spider-Man movie, maybe even beyond that. But I do think the idea of some kind of whatever's going on, whatever madness is happening in the multiverse, it's going to spill over into other Marvel movies. And it's going to be like a crossover event, like in the comics, like a summertime in all of our annuals. We're going to have the, the evolutionary war, you know, or something like that. And I think that's what they're doing. Isn't there a cautionary tale here? About like I remember even Schnepp used to hate this. Like I remember it would drive me nuts back when I was like like literally collecting the physical comic books every week and I had the titles. It used to drive me nuts that a comic that I would read started a storyline and then at the end it says continues in Mr. Mukubuku issue number forty five. It's like wait a minute, I don't buy Mr. Mukubuku. Why? Wait, so I now I gotta go buy a comic I don't read to do. It isn't and. Isn't there a little bit of a cautionary tale for that? But uh, I, oh man, I don't know. I mean, you, you could be right. What do you think? I, well, first of all, like, look, when I didn't read Mr. Mukubuku either. So I didn't <laughs> like when I had to, when I had to go buy that comic. But I mean, for the 30 years that I was buying comics every week, those crossover events, I mean, my shelves are full of them. And I think in a way, you know, if, Clearly, audiences who like the MCU see all of the movies. And if they're doing something that involves a multiverse, I think it's kind of cool that they are doing this because it's not like I'm not going to go see the next Spider-Man movie. Of course I am. And I'm going right. to Well, maybe I'm not going to buy the Blu-ray because physical media will be dead. But I, I, I want to. And I think it's kind of cool if they announce as they lead up to this, it's going to be a secret. They hold, they hold their cards pretty close to the vest. But – if they're going to do this, I think it's pretty cool because no one's done it before. Now, 
I, I, that's why because Electro, I, I didn't like the portrayal of Electro, not because of Jamie Foxx. I love Jamie Foxx, but the way he was written, it, it was so goofy. You know, it, I think it it didn't have verisimilitude compared to, say, the lizard in Amazing Spider-Man, which I really liked. Me but too. I just didn't like it, it seemed like Jamie Foxx's character was coming from a new movie, a different movie. Mm-hmm. They were like the tone of his character was all over the place. It was more like Jim Carrey's Riddler in Batman Forever. And I didn't think it really worked with Spider-Man. But I think if they're bringing Jamie Foxx back, they know this. And I think they have plans for him. I don't know if it has something to do with the Sinister Six. I don't know. But it's crazy, John. It's crazy. Well, that, of course, brings up the question that's going to be on everybody's mind. Is Paul Giamatti coming back as Rhino? That's all anybody <laughs> wants. But no, but really, Rob, let me bring back to the to the question that has been raised before this Jamie Foxx news came out. We've seen this question come up on this show several times before. Do you think, because we've had a lot of, Robbie, Rob, we've lost count of how many people have written and said, uh, do you think Tommy McGuire and Andrew Garfield can come back? Pa, come on. No, no. Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. What? Rob, let me let me get get you to give me a percentage chance here. Give me a percentage chance. Actually, I'll set an over under for you. Uh oh. 18%. 18 18.5% is the line. 18.5%. Higher chance wow. that we see either Andrew Garfield or Toby Maguire now pop up or lower than 18.5%. You're going to go over or under 18.5% that we could see either Andrew Garfield or Toby Maguire now pop up. What do you think? Now, in I'm light going, of this Jamie Foxx news, I'm going over. I'm I'm going over because Sony, look, they've already made into the Spider Verse. Marvel's making Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think we've seen the Quantum Realm now with different versions of the Ancient One. I think it's go. I think it's over because you know All why. Right. In this day and age, it's just cool. It's just a fun thing to do, and it's in the air, man. Ben Affleck is coming back as Batman. I think this is 2021 and 2022 is going to be the era of the multiverse across these big franchises, and I'm like, I'm going to love every minute of it. Okay, so look, you have to be a special kind of dumb to think Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire are coming back to Spider-Man is exactly what I would have said a month ago. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm in the dumb club. I mean, look, I, and I agree. I'm going to go over 18.5% too. And I can't believe if, if John Campia of June could see John Campia of October 2nd right now, he'd be spitting fits. But I'm telling you now it's over 18.5%. I'm, I'm not going to say it's over 50. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to say it's likely that's going to happen. But I would have said no way. No way we we get either Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire back. Not a chance. Way under 80. But today, I mean, like you said, it's not just the Jamie Foxx thing. You've also got, even though it's a completely different studio, you raise a great point, Rob. You also have to look at this a little bit through the lens of that we are now in a world where in D.C., Ben Affleck is coming back. Something that we really would have thought. So you combine that with the fact that Jamie Foxx is Electro. And again, there is a possibility here. It may not be for Electro. It might just be Jamie Foxx joining another Spider-Man movie. Maybe as another character. We have to keep that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But accepting that it is for now, 
I, I don't know how you don't say that. Yep, there's over at least an, it's a small 18.5% chance. I don't know how you say Dude, it's under at this point. I mean, they're giving Zack Snyder $70 million now to do reshoots, additional photography, pickups, whatever you want to call it, for a four-hour Snyder Justice League. Now, you know, you and I both never thought that was going to happen because nobody, there was nobody around to pay for it. But when HBO Max, I even said on my show last November that now that HBO Max is in the mix, there's a place where, where a Snyder Cut could actually get paid for. And I never believed it was going to happen, really. I don't think you did either. But with an entity that could pay for it, then suddenly it was on the table. Now they're not only paying for it, they're paying for more photography. <laughs> I mean, we live in this world now. Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton are playing Batman again. I, 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 we already had Crisis on Infinite Earths on the CW, where the Flash shows up. I mean, it's crazy. Dude, where John. Lucifer showed up. Lucifer where, showed look, up. I just, I, 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 all bets are off, man. See, all that's that's the thing. I, 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 what, what, what is happening now? It seems as look. There's always been things that even when seeming impossible, we say, hey, look, it, it, you know, it's very unlikely, but things are possible. What we're seeing happening right now is the definition of what is possible is widening. You know, it still doesn't necessarily make it likely, but the right. idea of what is possible becomes a wider, broader scope now of, I mean, I, 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 and, I and I just shudder to think about. What other things do maybe all of us thought, well, that'll never happen. That just might be on the books now. You know, this is this is nuts. William so, Shatner coming back as Kirk. <laughs> you know, he'd do it. Kirk that didn't die and didn't die uh, uh, on Viridian three in generations. He grew well, listen, up to, guys, to grew into an old age. This is so uh, significant. I decided to make this the topic of today's question of the day. And I simply asked you guys this question. I asked uh, regarding the Hollywood uh, regarding the uh, Hollywood reporter story. Do you actually believe that Jamie Foxx is returning as Electro in the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland? I gave you guys three options. Again, I put this up just about 20 minutes before the show started. Uh, a little over 3,300 of you guys have responded already. 55% of you are saying, yep. Jamie Foxx is back and he's Electro. 26% of you just don't believe the story at all, saying, no, Jamie Foxx is not going to be in this movie. 19% of you, though, I gave a third option that Fox will be back, but he won't be playing Electro like it's a different character. 19% of you guys are saying that. So that's where that's at right now. By the way, this poll is up in the community tab of the YouTube channel, so you can go and find it there. So go on over there and cast your vote as well. But in the meantime, guys, just jump down into the comment section. What do you, this is seriously, I, I, I am, a I know the Ben Affleck coming back as Batman is more important, but I literally don't know, Rob. I honestly don't know right now which is the more surprising story, that Ben Affleck was back or that Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. One was beloved. <laughs> one was universally disliked. And here we are. So, but question is, guys, what do you think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys.